Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We are in a series called I Choose. Last week, we helped out the singles. Did the singles get anything out of it last week? Amen? I saw one single. She texted me. She said, you know, after that message, I'm going to have to get rid of some people in my life. We had another single. I get to see them in my home. And they said, you know what? I actually broke up with my boyfriend because of that message. I dig it, dog. I, I, <laughs> I laughed so hard in my driveway. I actually had to text her and go, I didn't mean to offend you. It's just so good to hear people being obedient to the Word of God. Amen? So it was actually a, a laugh of joy and, and that God is, is working on people. So we just, we just pray that you, you stay broke up. Amen? We're going to work on the married couples for the next two Sundays. Hopefully after today you'll come back. Those of you that are visiting with us, you really won't get my southern preaching flair in these next two series because uh, next two messages, because I'm really trying to teach you and educate you, uh, but stick with us. I, I promise you I'll get crunk up. Now, some of you might be, well, I'll never be back if you get crunk up. So, 2 Corinthians 6.14 is on the screen. It says, and this might be a little strange to, to work on marriage, but we're going to look at a certain word here. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? For what fellowship? Somebody say fellowship. What fellowship can light have with the darkness? Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I hide behind your cross and I ask that you anoint these lips of clay to deliver the word. Let the word become flesh like it did last week and walk among us and convict us and change us and transform us. What good is it to be under the word and not change? What good is it to be under the word and reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit? But what a great way it is to walk in your ways, to embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to change our lives. You give us hope of change and the freedom to change, Father God, and we can be better for it. And Father God, we can stay in that environment of perpetual blessing because when we're obedient to the Lord, the blessings of God come over our lives. Today, as we dive into a complicated subject, Father God, there may be bad marriages in here that need to become good. There may be good marriages in here that need to become great. There may be great marriages in here that need to become better. Do what you do like only you know how to do it. Minister to us individually and corporately, and it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everybody said, amen. You know, looking at this verse, it, it starts out talking about believers with unbelievers. And then it, it, it talks about fellowship. Say it again. Say fellowship. fellowship. Now let's break down that term into the most simplistic way that we can. Fellowship. Fe fellowship. Let's think about it as fellows in a ship. Fellows in a ship. How, how do you get a whole bunch of men together and find continuity amongst fellows in a ship, especially in ancient times. Because in ancient times, they did not get on a ship to go on a cruise down to Key West. They got on a ship to row that ship because they were delivering goods and they were traveling to different areas, so they had to row together. Somebody say row. They had to row together in the same rhythm. And in order to have the same rhythm in that ancient ship, you would have a guy at the helm of that ship and he would be beating a drum. 
And every time they would beat that drum, they would row. And the reason you had to have that is because they had the same rhythm. If you didn't have the same rhythm and one was rowing one way and one was rowing the other way, the boat would literally go in circles, okay? They would get nowhere. So they had to row in a rhythm hearing the exact same beat. So to the married couples in this room, you may be in the same boat. You may be in the same house. You may be at the same address. But if your rhythm and your signals are coming from two different places, it's going to affect your ability to row that marriage together. Can I get an amen? So the Bible says, what, does what kind of fellowship do light and darkness have in common? And when you really think about that, if you put light in a room with the darkness in the room, there's going to be a war. Because one or the other is going to swallow it up. Now, according to the word of God, the light is going to shine in the darkness and the darkness cannot even comprehend it. But what I'm trying to tell you, if there is not proper fellowship and if there's not proper rhythm, there's going to be a fight because there's two different worlds in the house. So when we start talking about relationships, I mean, I just look in this room today and I look at some of our married couples, I look at me and my wife. And my word, we all come from different worlds. I know you may all grew up in Nebraska together, but you come from different worlds. Even if you attend the same church, even if you have the same ethnicity, or if you don't, maybe you vote politically the same. Maybe you have that story that you grew up together and, and, and you, you went to high school together and you got married. I'm telling you, when you come together, I don't care if you knew each other in your mother's womb and the two mothers got together and both of you leapt in the womb. I'm telling you, both of you bring some crazy junk into that house like we talked about last week. Now only the real people are going to clap right there because the wife's going to elbow them. I mean, think about it, church. Each person brings their philosophy of what a family is. Each person brings their communication methodology into that family. Each person brings conflict resolution into that family. You have two different philosophies about even how to handle money in that family. So like I said last week, what is your normal? Because your normal and her normal may be two different things. If you come from a family like my wife, who is a very calm, cool, and collective family. Mother, what time will dinner be this evening? Probably about six o'clock, dear. Then you come from my family and we're loud and we're obnoxious and we love to joke and we love to get on your nerves. And I mean, the first time she came to my family, she told me not to share the story, so I have to go back home with her, okay? So I'll be very careful here. My brother picked on her. I can't go there? No, okay. My brother picked on her just to see if he could get up under her skin, it had to do something with going to the bathroom, but I won't go there. She, 
she got in the car and like, oh my gosh, did your brother hate me? I'm like, no, he was just picking on you. And we only pick on people that we love. So my idea of a conversation is engaging. You ask Joyce, it's loud. I mean, when Justin was here, she's like, are y'all fighting? No. We just engage with one another and we're loud and we're bodacious and hopefully the conversation is intriguing or I'm bored. Carrie's idea of a conversation is, let's just have a cup of coffee and talk about our feelings. So what I'm trying to tell you is each of us, even us, we, we pick up things from our family and we bring it into the home and together the Bible says we're supposed to become one unit. And here we are, we have a marriage ceremony that it only takes for me about 30 minutes. So here you are, you're in a marriage ceremony that takes 30 minutes, and now you spend the next 30 years trying to live up to the powerful words that the pastor said in those short 30 minutes. And here you say, I do, and you haven't even done a thing yet. So it takes you 30 years to figure out what in the world did the pastor just say? And that's why I laugh at these young couples. Been married a year. And they think they can tell you, well, this is what I would do, and this is how we do. Hush your face. <laughs> Have a baby at six months. Well, this is how you hush. Have a kid all the way up until they're 25. Then you can talk to me. Be married for 35 years. Then you can talk to me. Just hush your face. You need to live a little. Get a little experience under your belt before you start counseling everybody else. Amen. So the question today, church, for the married couples is how do we become one? Because after all, that's the objective. That's the objective. Two different people... From two different worlds, yeah, y'all are going to have to follow me because I don't even know where I'm at up there. So y'all got it? Okay. How do we become one? Because what this text is teaching us is it's teaching us, like I told the singles last week, it's teaching you how to minimize your liability of not being yoked together with somebody who has an entirely different faith beat and a different faith drum than yours. Why? Because the text knows, and God knows, you may be in sync with each other. But what the text knows is you're not going to stay in sync with each other unless you're both in sync with God. You've got to both be in sync with God. And because believe me, believe me, it is going to take your heavenly Father to help you Come back home sometimes. <laughs> you better be careful, brother. Your, your wife might knock you upside the head. Talk, talk about, amen to that, brother. <laughs> it may take your heavenly father sometimes to help you keep your mouth shut when you wanted to say that thing that came to your mind, that if you literally said that thing that came to your mind would shut down the entire marriage forever. 
So you got to have your heavenly father in the corner helping you stay in sync with your spouse. Are you with me? So I'm just here to help you understand the demographics of the difficulty that we're having in marriages. I told you last week, 55 or 50% of marriages end in divorce, first time. Second time, 63%. Third time, 74%. And we have to understand how to operate in a marriage because they did not teach you that in school. How many of you took a marriage course in school? Not talking about economics of how you cook for your husband. Is that economics? No, what, is, what was that called? Home ec. Home ec. Yeah, I never took it, but I know how to cook. So, I mean, you can literally go to college, be a CEO of a company, have your doctorate in theology, be a successful businessman, be a psychologist, be an educator, but still be a flunky in marriage because they don't teach you that stuff. And, and the problem with our culture today is this, church. We can really be good at something. You could be a great, successful businessman. You could be a really great, successful teacher in this community. Business owner in this community. And the problem with our culture is when we're great at one thing, everybody in your sphere of influence expects you to be successful at everything. So it's actually a curse to be good at anything. Because if you were homeless, jobless, and creditless, they wouldn't expect you to have a good marriage if you lived up under a bridge. But be really good at something. And they expect you to be good at everything. Have it going on. Have your makeup just right. Wear the right designer clothing. Drive the most expensive car in what little lots we have. Learn how to extend the pinky when you drink your tea with your girlfriends. And people expect you to have it all together. But what happens when you don't? What happens when you're faking it? Looking good, but you don't really have it together. What happens when outwardly we look good? But inwardly, oh, I don't know what's wrong with my husband. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with her. Are you hearing me today? So today I want to use a metaphorical perspective to help you truly learn how to become one. And, and it's, it's, it can be a touchy subject, so just bear with me. Because I want to talk about slavery. I find the whole story of it just like marriage. Because you have to understand, church, that, that in Africa, they were not one people. They were not one people. We come in as the white man and we look at them as one people. We thought because they were one color, they were one people, but they are from many different tribes. They were from many different cultures, many different religions. They, they spoke many different languages. Today, there's over 1,500 to 2,000 different languages in the continent of Africa. But suddenly, people from Africa were on a boat. Partly because one tribe was selling another tribe. 
partly because the white man saw them as one color, thought they were one kind, but just because you come in one color doesn't mean that you're one kind. But follow with me here. Here we have a diverse amount of tribes. People that were enemies yesterday forced on a boat to be together today. Different cultures, practicing different religions, speaking different languages, sailing to a different place, and now they're on a boat trying to become one people, and yet they're from completely different tribes. Imagine that, just for a second. Just, just put yourself in the shoes of history. Get on a boat with somebody you can't talk to. Try to row with somebody you can't communicate with. Captured by somebody that thinks you're one people. Here you are trying to make it to the other side, but you can't even talk to the person that's next to you. But when you finally get off the boat, you're in a brand new world and, and all of a sudden you've been given a collective name. And here's these people forcing you to be one people. You couldn't even talk to the person yesterday because you were from a different tribe, a different religion, a different background, a different culture, and a different understanding. And suddenly you're trying to fuse into a nationality of people that are forcing to become one which they were struggling to do in the first place. So as an ethnicity, I think they are unique and wonderful because they were not one people when they went in. But when they came out, they were one people. And they were one people up under oppression. They had to figure out, how do we talk to one another? How do we survive slavery? How do we not die? Who do I trust? Who do I not trust? They had to develop a word called fellowship. They had to come together while they were being lynched, while they were being mobbed, while they were being beaten, while they were being killed and raped and destroyed. And if you can understand history... And if you can imagine what happened on the boat, now you get a picture of what happens in marriage. Because you may talk the same language outwardly, but it does not mean that you mean the same things about the words that you are communicating. Because she can say, I want us to have a happy marriage, baby. And he says, oh baby, I do too. And what she meant from her background can be totally different than what he meant from his background because happy to her and happy to him mean two different things. So here you are in a marriage trying to figure out how to speak the same language and you're trying to do it up under a slave master. What do you mean, pastor? How many of you have to deal with bills? How many of you got a mortgage payment or rent payment? Car payment? How many of you got kids? How many of you got aging parents that you have to take care of? How many of you got pressure and stress? You got all of that and the slave masters behind you with the whip going, Get it right! Get it right! 
Get it right. Because as a Christian, it's almost like we've got to get it right. You've got some people in here that are in debt. Some people in here are dealing with physical problems. Some you have children that have gone astray. Some you've got parents that you're taking care of. And all of this is going on up under pressure and stress. And you're trying to figure out who in the world is my partner? How do I even talk to you? How do I get the benefits of the collective strengths that we bring in this marriage? And I don't even understand your language. Because what you mean and what I mean are two different things. And there's some people in here that may be failing at your marriage. You are not weak. It's not because you're wrong. It's not because you're bad. But you don't understand that when you married the whole family... Like I talked to you last week, all the beasts with all their crazy junk came into the scenario. I know when you got married, all you thought, it was just you and her and this guy saying something in my ear. No, no. It wasn't just the bride and it wasn't just the groom standing up there. Little did you know, but mama was up there. She may have been sitting at the pew, but she was right up there. Daddy may be sitting at the pew, but he was right up there. Mama's crazy mouth was all up in her, and daddy's silly attitude was all up in him. Everybody, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa, third cousin, they were all up on that stage with you. Amen? You got family background family teaching, family ideals, the things that they taught their little boys and girls and the things they didn't teach their little boys and girls was all up on that stage and all of that is now in your house. And then you add to it, we may have some ladies in this room that grew up with no father. They literally have no understanding what a man is like. You are still drawn to and you're still attracted to the gender that is a mystery to you. But here she is and she misunderstands your communication mechanism because she never saw love from a proper male perspective. But regardless of what background you come from, the pressure mounts because you're on the boat with somebody rowing your marriage forward or at least trying to. Some of you may be going in circles. So whether you are from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, are you speaking different languages? And to top it all off, you've got the slave master saying, get it right, get it right, get it right. And the pressure mounts. And when the pressure mounts, marriages explode. When I was a kid, you stayed together even if you didn't like them. Are you with me? Anybody that that old school here? (laughs) Even if you weren't getting along, you just stayed together. You stayed together. You didn't leave. You didn't quit. But today... In the Christian church, I'm not talking about the world, but in the Christian church, families are exploding and it's happening so much that other Christians are just getting used to it. Oh, really? I'm so sorry. I'll be praying for you. 
We're not shocked anymore. We are not shocked anymore about Christian marriages splitting up. We used to be shocked. <laughs> you mean Harry and Sally? They were a great Christian couple. But today everything is business as usual. And we're seeing people all around us literally exploding. Exploding from the pressure of life, the demands of life, the economy that presses down on us, raising kids, being stuck between aging parents. And just about the time everything's working out, you get a little breathing room. How many of you have ever like hit a bad patch and you worked it out and you got a little bit of breathing room and you're like, oh, Selah, we're at a good place now. Anybody done that? Yeah, because about the time you get to that place, you get a phone call going, uh, <clears throat> Miss Jones, yeah, Grandma's walking down the street without a skirt on. And here's Grandma going, hey, oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm just going to Fresh Foods. She ain't even got her skirt on because she's losing it. But then you go to get in the car and little Junior has done stolen the car and it feels like it's all falling apart again. Anybody with me in here? Life can be pressurous. I don't even know if that's a word. Just came up with it, but it can be full of pressure. And marriages are breaking down on every level, church. You know why? Because crazy is an equal opportunity attachment. Don't miss that. Crazy is an equal opportunity attachment. Some signs of exploding families in the Christian church right now. Sign number one is domestic violence. Guy comes home from work, up under the pressure of work. Boss is talking to him like a dog. He feels unworthy in his job place. He comes home, she mouths off at him, he hits her, and all of a sudden a war is going on in the house simply because there was pressure on the man's life. And listen to me, if you are that type of man that beats your wife, it's because you don't like yourself. The Bible says to treat your wife like you treat your body. If you don't like yourself, you're going to hate yourself. Therefore, you'll hate your woman. Because your woman is a physical expression of who you are. And you beat her and you yell at her and you downgrade her because you're not happy with you. You start getting happy with you and I'm telling you, you're going to start getting happy with her. Now ladies, don't be too quick to amen me. Because y'all can be hateful too. Statistics say that there are women that beat their man. All of a sudden, here comes a man out in his pajamas. No! Get the frying pan away! Help! Y'all are guilty as charged too. That's why God tells you, don't be angry. Now, I'm not saying this. The Bible says it. The Bible says anger rests in the bosom of a fool. I didn't say it. The Word said it. So if you are in a continual state of anger, I love you, but the Bible says you're a fool. If the anger rests in you overnight, the Bible says you were a fool. That's why God told Mary, people, don't let the sun go down on your anger because anger will compound interest over time. Anger builds. 
If you don't get it under the blood, it will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And after a while, you can be so angry that you don't even know what you're angry about. Why? Because it has mounted and mounted and mounted. And now you're either vomiting it through your fist or vomiting it through your mouth. And you don't even know why you're angry. I can tell you, you don't like yourself. Another sign of exploding families is infidelity. I literally got a philosophy. I think you could stab your woman in the eye and she would forgive you quicker than you cheating on her. I think you could rob a 7-Eleven, come home, she said, baby, get in the escape car. I'm going to get you out of this. But you come home and tell her, I kissed a woman at the 7-Eleven. Oh, buddy, let's get ready to rumble because she's going to whoop you with a frying pan and probably kill you. Are you hearing me today? Now, again, ladies, slow your roll. Slow your roll. Because statistics, statistics say that women now are cheating just as much as men. And it's interesting to see when the numbers started rising. Now, I'm not a proponent for everybody to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, but the Bible does say, I mean, not the Bible, but statistics do say that once women started getting into the workforce, the cheating rate went up. You know why? More exposure. The pressure mounted. An opportunity was there, and the woman took the opportunity because she had to keep coming home feeling unappreciated by the man that she married. And ladies started acting like men, saying, Hey, ho, what's your number? And understand, church, what I'm trying to tell you is we're losing the foundation of civilization when we lose our family. You lose your family, you've lost everything. And we're losing it because we don't act like it's important anymore. We don't act like divorce. I mean, it's like divorce is the thing to do. I don't like you. I divorce you. It's like, you know, I just run down and get, a, get one from the lawyer. No problem. I don't like you. Didn't really like you when I married you. So today and next week, I, I want to give you some points. Is that okay? I want to give you some points to help your marriage. If you don't like the points today, come back. I'll give you five more, okay? I'm only going to give you three today. Next week, I'll give you five. Five that will help you if your marriage is bad, if your marriage is good, or your marriage is great. These five points I'm going to give you next week, I promise you, are going to be like none other. Okay? So I want to talk about the square footage of marriage. Somebody say square footage of marriage. I want to talk about it like that because in most marriages, we don't have room to get away. We don't have room to get away. In all of us, I don't care what type of personality or temperament you have. All of us have to have room in our life as a married couple to detox, to chill out, to regroup, to decompress. There are times, even for me, it's like I walk in the house and I'm thinking, please do not hit me 
first thing with your fresh problems. Assuming that I didn't run into the problems all day long. I understand with me. I brought home a load of junk. Just give me time to decompress, detox, chill out, get in a game, do something. Just to regroup my mind before I have time for you to hit me with your fresh problems. Anybody with me today? Square foot of marriage as the musicians come. And I'll end it with these three points. Square foot of marriage, rule number one. We all need a little space. We all need a little space. So the question is, is how much square footage you have? And don't tell me, we got about 2,600 square feet in our house. No, 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 no. I ain't talking about the square footage of your home. I'm talking about, do you have a place as a woman? Or do you have a place as a man? To detox, to breathe, to think. Because I don't know about you, but in a marriage, pressure will build. And if the square footage is tight, your marriage will suffer from no square footage. Because when it's tight and there's no outlet and there's no place and there's no room to decompress, something drastic is going to happen. And when I'm talking about decompressed, you have a place that doesn't include your kids. Do you have a place that does not even include your spouse? That you just got, I got to get away. That's why I love to do lunch with some guys through the week. It's, it's just, it's, I, I, I just decompress with you. Except if you're vomiting on me about all your marriage problems, then it's like, okay, now I'm a counselor. But I, I like to just find people that I can hang out and be me. Brad, you know, as a pastor, that's rare. It's rare to find those types of people that I can just be me. And too many marriages are in trouble today because they don't have any space. There is no outlet built in their lifestyle. There's no breathing room. And when there's no breathing room and it's tight, it builds up pressure. And like anything else that builds up pressure, too much pressure in that container and it will explode. And explosions damage things. Just like a bomb. The bomb didn't get hurt, but everything around it, there was collateral damage. So you have to build in space for your life. And some of you single people that are dating, you know what I mean. He's just smothering me. Give me a little space, man. All the single people said, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Rule number two, don't give too much space. Don't give too much space. Because too much space and too much time without you will give your spouse the feeling like you are married, but you're not. Because too much space, guys, teaches your spouse how to live without you. You'd be surprised at the people that can quickly get used to you being gone all the time. Working all the time is what I'm talking about. Busy all the time. Neglecting the family all the time. Neglecting the marriage all the time. And we see this with truck drivers. If you do not manage your family well, here you are gone all the time. 
and you come back into your family and you're sitting there on the living room couch and you have discovered that your wife and your kids have developed a physiological disposition, philosophical, excuse me, philosophical disposition that, that you don't even recognize anymore. It's almost like you're a fly on the wall watching them have a conversation and a discussion as if you're not even there. And that happens if you do not manage it well as somebody that is gone all the time. So don't give too much space because they'll learn to live without you. They may have the feeling of being married, but they're not. And then the last thing I want to share with you, and I'll get out of your hair today. Number three, don't crowd your spouse that they can't breathe. Not enough space, they feel claustrophobic. Too much space, they'll forget you. But please don't be one of those spouses that you become so dysfunctional that if they're not there, you freak out. <laughs> Where are you? I was gone five minutes. I told you I was going down to Fresh Foods for this one. When will you be back? You just text me. I, I told you I was going down to Fresh I need you. I can't live without you. Where are you? Text me, call me. 452 voice messages. Where are you? 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 I'm in the bedroom. And we have thousands of ways to get a hold of people. Email you, Facebook you, text you, Facebook messenger you. I just want to get back to my space. Y'all remember my space? Just give me my space and leave me alone. So I close with this. Just like the metaphor of slavery. And listen to me, married couples. It took them hundreds of years to get it right. Some of you have only been married 10, 5, 30. It took them hundreds of years to get things straight. So I'm telling you, no matter where you are on the spectrum of your marriage, it's going to take time for you to get things straight. Let me show you something interesting. I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. Show them Deuteronomy 24.5. If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. Look at this. Look at this. Guys, look at this. Look at it. For one year, he is to be free to stay home. I love what it says. It's, it's a kind way of saying it. And bring happiness to your wife that he has married. Can you imagine, guys, one year? Now don't get perverted on me because that's not just what it's talking about. One year you don't have to go to work. One year you don't have a one-year honeymoon. Yeah, Brock, come on now. And I ask God, why a year? Why a year? And he said, son, because I wanted the couple to see love in every season of life. 
Because what they practiced in that year becomes their drum, becomes their rhythm for loving each other through the seasons of life. Through the skinny season, through the fat seasons. I'm going to get skinny again, I promise. The seasons of no kids, the seasons of a whole bunch of kids. The seasons of the kids are gone, the season of the parents are aging and we got to take care of them. And then the seasons of no more parents and they're dead. How do we love each other through all the seasons of life? We got to have fellowship. We got to be one. We've got a beat and a rhythm we have to follow. And church, you have a choice today. Either life pushes you apart or life brings you together. Today you have to ask yourself, are you allowing that tough time? Are you allowing the slave master? Get it right! Get it right! Get it right! Are you allowing that to push you together? Are you allowing it to tear you apart? Because I leave you with this last thing on the screen. Obviously, you wanted to be together. So why in the world would you even allow life to destroy you? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've walked in this place and you do not know Jesus Christ, I know we've talked about marriage today. But I think the most important thing was in order to have fellowship, in order to be in sync, you both have to know God. And you may have walked in this place and you don't know the Heavenly Father. You don't have a vibrant, functioning relationship with Jesus Christ. Pastor, what does that look like? The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. If that's you today and you've walked in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is not an invitation to join this church. This is an invitation to join your Heavenly Father that the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and He knows every hair on your head. And because He loves you so much, He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you because He thought that you were worth saving. Well, Pastor, I've never done anything bad. Well, I, I'm a good person. Good's not going to get you to heaven. The Bible says it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that covers over sin. The Bible says it is by faith that you have been saved, not by your works, not by the good things that you do. The question is, is do you have faith in Jesus? So if you're here today and you want a heavenly Father that can take your chaos and bring it back in order. You've come to the right place. Anybody in this room? Pastor, I just want to give my life to Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand to where I can see it? Anybody? Just, I see that hand. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? I just want to give my life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's moving. He's, he's knocking on the door of your heart. The Bible says, knock. He stands at the door and knocks. Will you open the door and let him in? Anybody in here? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to make sure... But if I were to die today, I'd make it to heaven. Anybody else? Thank you. See that hand? Anybody else? Anybody else in this room? just want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you're a backslider in this room. You've backslidden. 
You just want to rededicate your life. Make sure you're right. Make sure you're back on track. Anybody in this room? Stand your feet all over this place. We're going to pray for those two young people that have given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Today, I accept you as my Savior. Because I believe that you died on the cross for me. You were buried in the ground for three days. And God raised you up and sat you at his right hand. So I confess you as Savior. Give me the power to make you the Lord of my life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody erupted in the big old hand clap. Come on, church, let's celebrate with the angels. They already started this celebration. Let's just join in it. Glory to God. The two of you that raised your hand, we prayed a very strategic prayer. First, we said, let's make him the Savior. The last, we said, make him Lord. Because there is a totally difference. There's a lot of Christians that got fire insurance, but they've never changed their life. Some theology would say maybe they never did really give their life to Christ. I don't know. I can't be the judge of your heart. But what I do know is that we prayed for the power for him to be the Lord. And there's a huge difference when you come up under the obedience of the word of God and you follow his word instead of just saying, I'm a Christian by mouth. Now you've stepped over into a realm that we call you a disciple. And that's our prayer for you, that you would become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you something before we leave. It's just a little box. It has a Bible in it. has a 30-day devotion. I saw that hand. I'll come directly to you. And I'll give that to you to help begin to ground you. But I would encourage you to get in a Bible-believing church, a Bible-teaching church that teaches the truth of the Word of God to where you can grow in your faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? For the rest of you in this house, I don't know where you are in your marriage. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know what kind of marriage you have. Some I do because you text me and, and I've, I've helped you and I've counseled you and hopefully my effort wasn't just in vain and it helps you. So I know how this community is. If I opened up this altar and said, come on down, we'd all be embarrassed because we don't want nobody to know that we have problems. I'm going to let you stay right there. If you wish to come down and be authentic and transparent and up front, we're happy to be praying for you. Next week, I promise you, we're going to bring you all down as couples. And we're going to pray, me and my wife and the board, we're going to pray a blessing over you and help that you'll take these five, six, seven, eight points that I'm going to give you in these next two Sundays, that you'll take them and use them. But right in the privacy of your space, I just want you to pray with your wife. I want you to pray with your husband. Maybe talk just quickly during worship of, of what was the one nugget that we took away today. What, what can we go home and change? What, what can we go home and do? So I want you to take this moment in the remaining time that we have as they begin to sing. Just grab your spouse, pray with them, talk to them, pray over them, and just unite as one today in the presence of God. Amen. Let me pray for you and the Melissa, whatever's on your heart. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we come to you in all honesty that there ain't a single person in this place that has gotten it right. We've all made mistakes. 
There's some of us in this room that we keep making the same mistakes. But there's something you want to do in this worship time. There is nothing more powerful than the prayer of two flesh that has become one and they pray for their marriage. I believe it's more powerful than the altar time of us laying our hands on them. So I pray that as they take this time to use this opportunity to talk and to pray for one another, that something supernatural, something incredible, something life-changing, a shift would take place, a Genesis moment would happen, a new beginning, a fresh start, a relaunching would take place in this room right now as we sing as we worship together, as we pray for one another, as we discuss what we got out of this message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.